Thank you so much. It is a, a joy and honor, a privilege, all of the above, to, to be here. Um, I'm shocked at how many of y'all don't know. Um, I was re-licensed here years and years ago and ordained here two years ago, and um, it's just so uh, a lot of unfamiliar faces, which is really great, um, and I, I appreciate that. Uh, if you, you read Second John, if you'll go ahead and turn there again, we'll read it again. It's God's word. It's not going to hurt anybody to hear it twice. Um, while you're turning, does anybody know how many books of the Bible only have one chapter? So you can talk back at this point. You're holding up two. It's more than two. Definitely two, though. Admittedly, modern chapter and verse divisions. Uh, are not in the original text. Psalms is a little bit different, but um, everything else, you know, but it's still helpful. Um, any other guesses? No, it's more than two. It's at least two. Three. Four, five. There's five, actually. Five, five yeah. Anybody know what they are? You, you can probably get one pretty easily. Obadiah and Jude. Obadiah and Jude, right? Philemon. Philemon, yep. Second and third John, right. Um, I was hoping at one point to preach through all of those, and I never made it, but um, Obadiah is the one that I always forget, because if it's in the Old Testament, I don't know about it. Um, well, we're in Second John, and I'll read it again. Um, if you uh, want to know where we're going, three points. We have to love one another. Two, we can't compromise on truth. Third, who is Jesus? What truth are we defending? So that's where we're going. We're in Second John, and I'll read it again. I told y'all to turn, and then I didn't, so I apologize. The elder to the elect lady and her children, whom I love in truth, and not only I, but all, also all who know the truth, because of the truth that abides in us and will be with us forever, Grace, mercy, and peace will be with us from God the Father and from Jesus Christ, the Father's Son, in truth and love. I rejoice greatly to find some of your children walking in the truth just as we were commanded by the Father. Now I ask you, dear lady, not as though I were writing to you a new commandment, but the one we have had from the beginning, that we love one another, and that this is love, that we walk according to his commandments. This is the commandment, just as you have heard from the beginning, that you should walk in it. For many deceivers have gone out into the world, those who do not confess the coming of Jesus Christ in the flesh. Such a one is the deceiver and the antichrist. Watch yourselves so that you may not lose what we have worked for, but may win a full reward. Everyone who goes on ahead and does not abide in the teaching of Christ does not have God. Whoever abides in the teaching has both the Father and the Son. If anyone comes to you and does not bring this teaching, do not receive him into your house or give him any greeting, for whoever greets him takes part in his wicked works. Though I have much to write to you, I would rather not use paper and ink. Instead, I hope to come to you and talk face to face so that our joy may be complete. The children of your elect sister greet you. Uh, the grass withers and the flower fades, but the word of our God shall stand forever. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, I thank you for your word, and please uh, bless uh, our reading of it and the preaching of it, and uh, uh, don't let me say anything that's wrong and against it. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. So this is a letter. Um, two things that we can come to and ask is, uh, who wrote it and who is it written to? Uh, 
title of it, second letter of John, right? Second John. Uh, good reason to believe that John wrote it, right? Uh, John wrote a lot of stuff in the, the New Testament. The style of it is a lot like uh, all the other stuff that we think is John's. There's really no reason to believe that this was written by anything anybody different. He doesn't identify himself as John. He just identifies himself as the elder, which is exactly appropriate. This is what we would expect John to say. If somebody were faking this, um, you would expect them to use something that was a little more flashy, like John the Apostle, right? Um, but he doesn't. He just says the elder. And I realize that, you know, you may be the kind of person that says, the Bible says it and I believe it, and that settles it. And that's fantastic. That's great. Uh, sometimes you want to know, like, why is that the case? And I'm one of those people, like, yes, it's God's word. I believe it. But I still want to know why. Like, I, I want to pick at that. Um, because if it is true, and it is, they, you know, no amount of picking can dismantle that. And so um, it is John's. John, uh, the same John that wrote the Gospel of John, the letters of John, um, the Re Revelation, right? That's John. The style is the same. Uh, and he's the elder. And who's it written to? We've got three options, right? It was the elect lady. So uh, some people might say this was a person, a particular person that he's writing to. It's one option. I don't think that's the best one because of uh, mainly you get the word you, you know, we have you and y'all. The King James has you and thee and thou, but most uh, just common English, it's just you, and that can mean either one person or all y'all. And that just goes back and forth in this letter. You get both. And that you wouldn't see that if it was written to a person. And the stuff that John talks about is not really what you would expect to be to a person. Second option is that he's writing to a, a specific church. Um, the elect lady and her children. Um, the children, you know, John elsewhere talks about Christians as uh, children, right? In First John, right? I'm writing to you, little children, because your sins are forgiven for his name. It's in First John 2. Uh, that, to me, makes the most sense that it's to a specific church. It's God's word, so no matter what, what we take, it's still to us, right? Um, but it helps to understand it if uh, we know who it's written to. The third option, some Christians throughout history believe this, that the elect lady is the universal church, the whole church. Um, that is um, its possibility, but if that's the case, then the final verse of Second John doesn't make much sense. The children of your elect sister greet you. So if, it's, if the elect lady is the whole church, who's her sister, right? But if it's a specific church, then the Christians at a different specific church greet you. And uh, that makes a lot of sense. This is a, a church that knows John, that understands that he's an apostle, he has authority, and he's writing as an elder to them. Uh, so that's the sort of background of Second John. Uh, and, and the elect lady and her children, the, the way that we see that is, can shed some light on it uh, in that what this letter talks about, how we need to show love and contend as a contend for the truth. That applies both to us as the church, but also to us as individuals, right? If, if it's the elect lady, the church, and her children, that's each of us. So these commandments, this, this teaching in this letter is something that we do as a body of believers and as individual Christians. All right, so moving to the first point. Uh, either way, no matter who it's to and who it's from, it still applies to us, and it's still from God, and we can, we can take that. 
Uh, step one, or point one, we have to love one another. So it's the elder to the elect lady and to her children whom I love in truth. And not only I, but all, also all who know the truth because of the truth that abides in us and will be with us forever. Um, whom I love in truth, and not only I, but all those who have known the truth. is all Christians. Uh, this one hit me like a ton of bricks at one point. You realize, like, you have more in common with uh, another Christian who doesn't speak English and lives on the other side of the world than you have with your neighbor that's lived next to you your entire life and doesn't know the Lord. You know, our pastors in Kenya, not on the map anymore, um, we have more in common with those Christians that he's with than we have with the people down the street who don't know Jesus because Jesus is everything, right? He, he's so much more than everything else that there could be. And uh, we should keep that in mind when we're thinking of how to relate to people. You know, this is, this is my, my brother in Christ. I, was, uh, I have to travel a lot for work. And a few months ago, about a year ago, I was traveling and I was with my current boss and my old boss, which was every bit as awkward as you can imagine that was. And we were having dinner together. And uh, the two of them know each other fairly well, and they had disagreed on something. And I don't remember exactly what they disagreed on. Um, but the old boss had written something pretty critical of the new boss. But he was one of the most kind and gracious people I've ever met. Um, after, you know, knowing him for two years, I can't say a single bad thing about him. And the new boss said, you know, I just can't get over how, how gracious you were and how kind you were in your disagreement with me. And he said, well, you know, I am planning on spending eternity with you. <laughs> and I just, wow. And he said, but you're not the main thing. Don't get ahead of yourself. <laughs> um, but we should keep that in mind when we're, when we're relating to other Christians. Like this is, we have something far more in common with other believers than we have with anybody else. And that should affect how we relate to each other, how we love each other and how we work that out. And John himself personifies this. You know, he is an apostle. He has the authority of Jesus to say, you know, do this. And, and he doesn't here. He says, you know, I ask you, I ask you. Uh, he's not being forceful. Um, it's verse 5. And now I ask you, dear lady, not as though I were writing to you a new commandment, but the one that we've had from the beginning, that we love one another. He doesn't say, like, look, you better love one another. No, he's being gentle with it. We should love one another. Um, and now John does get forceful when he needs to. Uh, in Third John, uh, you, we see that. If you, you know, in my Bible, it's on the same page. You don't even have to turn pages. But in verses nine to ten, John starts naming names. Right? He gets forceful when he has to be. I have written. This is Third John nine and ten. I've written something to the church, but Diotrephes, who likes to put himself first, does not acknowledge our authority. So if I come, I'll bring up what he's doing, talking wicked nonsense against us, and not content with that, he refuses to welcome their brothers and also stops those who want to and puts them out of the church. Like when, when it becomes a serious issue, John puts his foot down. right? And so this attitude of, of having to love one another doesn't override standing for the truth and doing what's right. And John himself personifies this. Uh, we should act in love, we should have an attitude of love when we do act. Um, but it doesn't mean that we just let things slide that should not slide. A friend of mine was uh, 
was, uh, uh, I was with a friend of mine, we were praying a few months ago, and he, uh, there, there was an issue with somebody uh, who was a pastor of a difficult church, and uh, my friend prayed to let him have the, uh, the wisdom to know uh, what can be overlooked and overlook what can be overlooked, and the boldness to step in and not overlook what can't be. And that's uh, it's an important, it's a really difficult thing sometimes to navigate. What, you know, what should I just kind of ignore? What, what can we put by and what do I need to step in on? Uh, but the main point is we have to love one another and we have to do that with love. And this is love, John writes, that we walk according to his commandments. You know, Jesus said, if you love me, keep my commandments. Um, Good works and salvation, right? Uh, these go together. Uh, God's commandments are loving. Uh, following Matthew 18 is loving, even if it's difficult and it, it makes you uncomfortable. If we really believe that God's word is perfect and that God's ways are perfect, then whatever God tells us to do is the right thing to do and the loving thing to do. You know, we can do that with a bad attitude or a good attitude. I admit I usually have a bad attitude, um, and that's where this is convicting to me, particularly. But if we really believe that, if we really believe that uh, God's word is good and is perfect, then it is loving to follow his commandments. Um, and that, that works out, uh, as I mentioned, in salvation as well. Right? We're not following commandments in order to be saved, but because we're already saved. Um, this is love that we walk according to his commandments. Um, and this is the commandment just as you have heard from the beginning so that you should walk in it. We don't walk in his commandments to be loved. We walk in his commandments because we love him, because he first loved us. Um, I, I believe God saves inconsistent people, and I'm very thankful for that because I know that's me. But uh, several years ago, I worked with a, a guy who was Catholic, and I'm convinced this guy was my brother in Christ. And he, despite all that I was kind of raised here to believe about Catholics, this guy I'm convinced was saved. His life, the way he acted at work, bore the fruit of the Spirit. And I asked him one we'd talk about the Bible and going to church and stuff. And I asked him one day, so I've got one question for you. And he said, oh, I know it's what it's going to be. You're Baptist. You're going to ask me about Mary, aren't you? I said, no, no. I said, I, I understand that. I don't agree with it. But I, under, you know, I might ask you to pray for me. I know that you know, y'all see it as you're just asking somebody to pray for you. I don't agree with it. But I, I get it, right? I can see. No, I want to know, why do you do the sacraments? Like, why do you go to confession and why do you do that? And his response was, well, I may be a bad Catholic, but I think you do that because that's what God wants you to do. And because he saved you, I should, because he saved me, I should be doing what he wants me to do. So I'm not doing that to, to get his grace. I'm doing it because I got his grace. And I thought, well, that's an answer that even I can agree with, right? It's a beautiful answer. Uh, and he kept saying, I may be a bad Catholic, but, well, that's, that's great. You're a good Christian, you know? <laughs> Uh, this is love, that we walk in his commandments. We, we walk in those commandments because we love him as he first loved us. Now, point two, we'll move to point two. We can't compromise on truth. The next part, after John talks about walking in love, he gets to uh, that it matters what we believe. Everyone who goes on ahead and does not abide in the teaching of Christ does not have God. 
Whoever abides in the teaching has both the Father and the Son. Uh, Mark Dever makes a comment that, uh, you know, the word here says whoever goes on ahead, and that's, uh, you know, if their doctrine is progressive. I'm not saying that that's what John was talking about was modern-day liberal Christianity, but it's certainly an application of it, right? If you're going on ahead uh, and your doctrine is progressing to the point that you go ahead of Jesus, then that becomes a problem, right? Uh, it matters what we believe. Um, many deceivers have gone out to the world, those who do not confess the coming of Jesus Christ in the flesh. Everyone who goes on ahead and does not abide in the teaching of Christ does not have God. Those are terrifying words to some people. It matters what we believe. Not everything matters on the same level. There are some things that we can disagree about, and that's fine. But what God has made clear, there's no excuse. That matters. And here, Jesus matters. Who Jesus is matters. And we have to be careful about who we're letting in. If anyone comes to you and does not bring this teaching, do not receive him into your house or give him any greeting. For whoever greets him takes part in his wicked works. Uh, so I, at this point, I kind of want to step aside and tell you how I would apply that and then tell you how I would approach how I apply that, if that makes sense. Um, I've heard people, and if this is you, that's fine, say, you know, if anyone comes to you, do not receive him into your house. And that means if i got Mormons coming to my, my door, I don't let them in. Um, I don't think it means that. But if, if, the, if you do, that's fine. You know, obey that, and you'll be okay when you stand before God, right? Um, I'll tell you why I don't think it means that. But there is something wonderful about saying, well, the Bible says it, and I believe it, and that's enough, right? There's something wonderful about that. So, if you, you know, if that's you... Don't want to condemn you. Go in that. The reason I don't think that that's the case is this is the, the you there is plural, right? If, if anybody comes to y'all, y'all don't receive him into your house. Well, that sounds kind of like the church or that, you know, how churches met in houses back then. So it's the, the church he's talking about. So he wouldn't want a Mormon coming in and preaching, right? Because Mormon, I use Mormon, but, you know, there's plenty of false teachers out there. It's not the only one. Uh, but if you've got somebody who is a false teacher, who's not teaching who Jesus is, don't let them preach, right? Um, don't let them preach. That would be violating this, I think. Um, that's letting them in. There's also a an application about hospitality, right? Back then, they didn't have a hotel system like we had, so if you're traveling, you usually had to stay with somebody. Uh, so if somebody comes and is traveling through, needs a place to stay, and is a false teacher, don't let them stay with you, right? That is letting them in. That's, that's giving them a greeting, right? That you're letting them stay, and you're, you're supporting their false teaching. And so John is saying, look, there are people who are deceivers, they're anti-Christ. Don't support them. Don't give them money. Don't help them out. Don't help them propagate this false teaching. Another thing to keep in mind is, this is people who are teaching it. It's not, he, he's not saying just anybody who believes this. It's people who are teaching it. There's a higher standard for teachers in the Bible. God holds us to the standards, you know, 
our ultimate standard is Jesus, but, you know, brothers, be not many masters, for uh, we shall receive the greater judgment, right? Um, if uh, one of the commentaries I was reading mentioned, if you have a Jewish cousin who needs a place to stay, it's not violating this verse to let your Jewish cousin stay with you. Now, if, you, you know, if that Jewish cousin is a rabbi who is teaching and is coming because he, he's here to teach people, that might be a different story because then you would be supporting a false teacher. Um, the, a wonderful example of this is several years ago when I was a student, we had the biblical studies seminar on Friday mornings and it was uh, terrifying because all the professors were there and people would present and it could be other students, it could be professors, it could be professors from other universities. And there was one Old Testament professor in particular who was terrifying. Everybody was afraid of this man um, because he was unbelievably brilliant and he was ruthless. But I noticed the longer I was there that he treated people to the level that they deserved. And so if you were a student and you came in and you said something really dumb, he would push back, but he would be very gentle about it. He was your friend. Students, it's okay to say some dumb stuff because you're not teaching other people. You're still learning. There was one day there was another professor from another university who came in and said something dumb and he destroyed her. It was uncomfortable and it was terrible and she should have known better, right? She was teaching others. She was to a point of teaching and, and he knew that and she knew that and everybody knew that and the way that he treated her in the questioning time at the end was very different than how he would treated students. And so that's an application of, of this. It's someone who's teaching, going around teaching false doctrines about Jesus. If somebody's teaching that Jesus is not coming, hasn't come in the flesh, that one is a deceiver and an antichrist. Now, the Mormon missionaries are teachers, right? Um, and you can think of this one, this is the way I thought about it um, several years ago. Uh, had some, where we lived, there was, it was right next to the university library, and there were Mormons who just stayed on our street all the time catching the students. And I thought, if I go talk to them, that means that they can't talk to somebody else, right? I'm going to go waste their time. And I would, I would. And I had a buddy who, who went with me, and we, we met with them in the library and sat down. I thought, you know, as long as they're talking to me, they're not talking to anybody else. This is great. So I would, I would talk to them whenever I stopped. I had, they, they had a cell phone that they would pass around, and each, each time a new... Uh, Mormon would come, I'd get a text. It's, hey, this is Elder so-and-so. Do you have a chance to meet? I'm like, yeah, I'd love to. Um, because at that point, you're not, supporting, you're not supporting their false teaching. From my, from my perspective, I was tying them up to keep them from supporting other people. Uh, you know, I, I'll take that Book of Mormon, right? Because then somebody else isn't. Um, now, how I approach this issue, I mentioned that uh, an application is if you've got Mormons in your house, I don't think it would be wrong to let them in. Um, I wouldn't, but that's because I'm introverted and, and you know, don't like to be around people in general, and nothing against all y'all, but if you're like that, uh, you know, that's fine. If you took this to mean don't let them into your house, that's okay. The way that I approach this is I'm not willing to bet my salvation on that interpretation of this verse, right? I'm, not, I'm willing to bet my salvation on Jesus. 
and willing to have faith that Jesus is enough. And maybe I'm wrong about how to apply this, but I'm not wrong about who Jesus is because that's something that God has made abundantly clear in the Bible. And so I wanted to take that to say that's how I approach things where, you know, maybe there are some interpretive options of how, how to understand what the Scripture says, and I'm not completely sure which one is right. At the end of the day, I'm sure about Jesus, and I'm sure that he's enough. And so I'm going to follow it the best that I can, and my best of my ability, and if I'm wrong, I'm wrong, but Jesus isn't wrong. And I can have confidence and faith in that. Finally, who is Jesus? What is the truth that we are defending? For many deceivers have gone out into the world, those who do not confess the coming of Christ, of Jesus Christ in the flesh. Such a one is the deceiver and the antichrist. Watch yourselves so that you may not lose what we worked for, but may win a full reward. John doesn't want to see people walk away from Christianity. Now, we can talk about eternal security, right? If, you know, people say once saved, always saved. I always say it should be if saved, always saved, right? Um, if you really are regenerated by the Holy Spirit, you're, you're living for God, you have His Spirit in you, and you've been washed by the blood of Jesus, you're not going to walk away. Uh, from a human perspective, if we don't look at it from God's perspective, but look at it from our own, some people do walk away from the faith. And you know, Jesus said they went out from us because they were not of us. Uh, but John says, you know, you don't want to lose what we have worked for, right? That salvation. You don't, wanna, don't want to lose that. But this is how Jesus matters. The point about Jesus coming in the flesh, this is, if you want the $5 words, this is Christology, not eschatology. This is uh, when Jesus came then, not when he's coming back. We can disagree about aspects of when he's coming back because... Uh, most people don't think that the Bible is crystal clear on exactly how that's going to play out, but it is clear on exactly how it did play out when he came the first time. And that's what we cannot compromise on. So in Matthew 16, we read, Jesus came into the district of Caesarea Philippi, and he asked his disciples, who do people say that the Son of Man is? And they said, some say John the Baptist, others say Elijah, and others Jeremiah, or one of the prophets. And he said to them, but who do you say that I am? Simon Peter replied, you are the Christ, the Son of the living God. And Jesus answered him, blessed are you, Simon Bar-Jonah, for flesh and blood has not revealed this to you, but my Father who is in heaven. And I tell you, you are Peter, and on this rock I will build my church, and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. I will give you the keys of the kingdom of heaven, and whatever you bind on earth shall be bound in heaven, and whatever you loose on earth shall be loosed in heaven. And he strictly charged the disciples to tell no one that he was the Christ. Now when we read that passage, we don't have Jesus saying that I will build my church until after Peter confesses, you are the Christ, the Son of the living God. Right? That comes first. Who is Jesus? Well, he's God and he's man. Uh, growing up, uh, Brother Paul always said he's as much God as if he's not man, and he's as much man as if he's not God. And I've realized recently how much it was helpful to have that repeated over and over and over. So I'm a big fan of repeating the same things over and over because they stick with you, right? Um, 
a lot of times we're really good about thinking of Jesus as fully God. We're not as good about thinking him, of him as fully man. Um, it's, it's hard to hold those two things together in our heads. It really is. Like, if you step back and think about what that really means, it's hard to hold those things together. But the scripture teaches both. The scripture teaches that Jesus really is God and he really is man. Um, well, who is he? He's God. We can go back to another one of John's writings, John 1. John writes, In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was in the beginning with God. All things were made through him, and without him was not anything made that was made. In him was life, and the life was the light of men, and the light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. And we read down, who is this Word? The Word, verse 14, became flesh and dwelt among us, and we have seen his glory. Glory is the only Son from the Father, full of grace and truth. Jesus is completely God. Jesus is also completely human. Several years ago, I was sitting in an airport with a New Testament scholar who was famous for having a potty mouth and being a thoroughly evangelical Christian, weirdly, so I will not give you what he said to me exactly. I'll edit it just a bit, but uh, I asked him some questions. You've got to remember that the Word became flesh and became a first century Jew. And it just struck me. like Jesus really was a person, and he was a person just like any other person, except that he's also God and he was without sin. But Luke 2.52 says Jesus increased in wisdom and in stature and in favor with God and man. That's always been a really hard verse for me to understand. I can get that Jesus is God, right? It's hard to understand how God can grow in wisdom and stature and in favor with God and man. Uh, a human can. But it's hard to understand how that can be true of God. Uh, we don't pray to baby Jesus, but there was a time when the God of the universe did weigh eight pounds and six ounces and probably kept Mary up all night crying. You know, that's how babies communicate. There's nothing sinful about crying. Um, all, it's something to remember about Jesus. He, he is a real person. Uh, in John 19, 28, after this, Jesus, knowing that all was now finished, said to fulfill the scripture, I thirst. In Matthew 4, 2, he was hungry. In Luke 23, 26, Jesus needed help carrying the cross. In Luke 24, 42, Jesus eats some fish after the resurrection. Um, one of my, my favorite things about the, the story of uh, Jesus' last days, I say favorite, it's, that's probably a bad word to use. It, it's always stuck out to me, I'll put it that way, is that Judas had to point him out in the Garden of Gethsemane. Jesus wasn't a foot taller than everyone else and had long flowing blonde hair when everybody else didn't. He looked just like everybody else there. He, Judas had to point him out. There wasn't anything distinctive about him that, uh, that Judas could say, oh, he's, he's this one, right? It's, he's the one that I'm going to go and kiss. Um, a real person looks like other people. So it matters who Jesus is. It matters that Jesus has come in the flesh. 
And it's not just that Jesus did come in the flesh, it's that Jesus is, he has come in the flesh. He's still a person. He's still a human, right? He's still God, and he's still a human. Isn't that amazing, though? He's our Savior, but he's also our, our brother in God the Father. He's a real person, and he's God. That's, it's just so hard to keep in my head both of those things being true. And we're really good. Like I said, we're really good at remembering that Jesus is God. Jesus is also man. And salvation couldn't happen any other way. But if somebody is teaching anything different, can't support them. We can't support that ministry. We can't let them preach. We can't send them money. If somebody says that uh, Jesus wasn't really a person, he just looked like a person. That was a big one in the early church. People said, oh, he wasn't really a human. He just looked like it. Um, or if uh, somebody says, well, he wasn't really God. He was just a person who is really, really spiritual. He's a good teacher. We can't support that. That's false teaching. John says that's a deceiver and antichrist. Um, I want to focus on that word antichrist and then we'll be done. This is not just the, the evil guy from the left behind books. Anti means in place of. That's the preposition. And this is anything or anybody that could take the place of Jesus. In, in a real sense, somebody who's teaching another Jesus is teaching of someone to take the place of the real Jesus, right? A Jesus who isn't God isn't the real Jesus. Re Jesus who isn't man isn't the real Jesus. But it could be um, anything replacing Jesus um, in our lives as if that's more important than him. That is antichrist as well. And so not only does it matter what we believe, but it matters how we act about it, right? It matters how we act. Is there anything that we treat as more important than the real Jesus? If so, we're functioning as someone who doesn't believe in the real one, even if we say we do. So let's wrap it up in, in conclusion. We have to love one another. But what we believe matters. And those two things can be difficult to hold at the same time. Usually you find one of those things easy and one of them difficult. It's, it's hard to get them both. It's so hard. I, I definitely struggle with the loving one another part. It's my thought. So if you're going to believe that, then you, know, you deserve to be wrong. It's not the right attitude to have. But it's also not the right attitude to say, oh yeah, that's fine, that's great, just keep on teaching that. You did such a good job when, when somebody was teaching heresy. That's also wrong. But it matters who Jesus is. Because that's something that the Bible is clear about. If we don't have Jesus, we don't have God. But if we do have Jesus, we have the Father and the Son. Who he is matters. What we believe about him matters. Uh, let's pray. Heavenly Father, thank you for your word. And thank you for, um, uh, thank you for Jesus. And for such a great salvation that you've given us. In his name we pray. Amen.